0: Well, hello there, fellas and philetties. It is I, your Papa Jaffe. Welcome to the first episode of the new podcast that is exclusive to members that I think we're going to be calling My Brain is Leaking. I don't know if that's a good title. Give me your thoughts. But here's the point. Episode one. What is this? You may be wondering. Well, it is a show that is not tied to or dependent upon the video game news of the day or the week. It is not tied to a specific uh, freshly released video game. It's more a podcast about my experience working in the industry uh, as both a fan, as a creator, as a teammate. Uh, We'll go a little bit before and after. We'll talk about the podcasting and the, the YouTube channel at times. We'll talk about growing up as a gamer, video games, kind of being in that maiden voyage of people who got to play the first video games when they were first invented. But we'll mostly stay in that. Groove of what it was like to work in video games and, and, and such. So uh, we'll see how these things go. You never know what's going to stick, but this is currently, we're going to give this a try. I always want to make sure there are exclusives over here at the Patreon and for members on the YouTube. So this is episode one. Right now, let's call it... Um, now nah, I don't like my brain is leaking. Let's call it... Um, let's call it... Uh, uh, oh, shit. Who knows? It's Untitled Podcast. How about that, babies? But listen to me. Episode one. This is called... My worst days in video games now, obviously this is going to be about my worst days uh, Probably five to seven examples of days that were really tough and difficult and challenging um, When I was working in the video game industry uh, from the very beginning all the way up until when I walked out this particular episode will cover just working on Mickey mania and twisted metal sort of the early years from 93 to 95 um If We like this topic. I'll do part two and part three and part four obviously maybe not next week next week We'll do a different topic, but if you like this uh, Shenanigans that you're being served right now Let me know in the comments and I will make sure to do a part two and if you want a part three We'll do a part three, but in the meantime that's kind of what this episode is episode one my worst days working on twisted metal No, that's wrong episode one my worst days I don't know what I'm going to call it. Something like that. I'll figure it out. You'll see it in the title, but that's what it's about. I think it'll be interesting. It's not depressing as it sounds. I mean, these are these were dark days, but I think they led to a lot of good stuff. So, as most things do, most dark things ultimately do lead to that. In fact, I read a book once. I don't want a tangent, but here we go. <laughs> Welcome to my brain. Uh, this lady says her name is Martha Beck. She's like a life coach, right? And she says uh, she had an exercise in the book. The book was called Finding. Your North Star, I think that's what it was called. And uh, the exercise was fascinating to me. She basically said, You know, write down some bad shit that happened. Like, come up with an event that you remember as being a bad thing that happened. And I said, Okay, I'll. Uh, I, I got a phone call from my dad in college, and my dad said, You know, we don't have any more money. You're a senior at USC. You're almost graduated, but we can't afford to keep sending you. So this is your last semester, whether you finish or not, unless you can somehow scrounge up the crazy tuition for that school. And I remember walking with the woman who would become my wife on the track at USC after that and just going, I'm fucked. I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I, I had this fantasy that I was going to go to USC and become a film director right out of school, just like it happened with Spielberg or Lucas or whatever. And none of that's panned out. I am super fucking doodly doodly fucked, right? I just added the doodly doodly (laughs) Yes, um It's mine. You can use it though. Um doodly doodly. You can put it wherever you want. And so, uh, I you know This is a really bad moment, right? Ultimately though going back to this book the Martha Beck book that was the moment I picked and She's like, okay now work forward from that moment and what did that lead to and Ultimately it led to me getting a job in video games like wheels were turning based on that phone call That ultimately led me to be at Sony and have a wonderful career that I just uh, As challenging and in weird as it was at times. I adored it And I'm grateful for it and it allows me in part to do what I'm doing now So along with you fellas in filetti. So thank you for that. I um, But yeah, so it, the idea of sort of taking these bad memories that are in the past and going, what seemed like an absolute death sentence became a launching pad for something great. And then you, you kind of, after you do it once, you're like, Hey, that works. And then you kind of, I mean, you know, there are exceptions, you know, uh, awful tragedies, but things that seem really bad more often than not, maybe it's a, Depends on how resilient you are. Depends on your experience with this technique. But in my case, in a lot of people's cases, more often than not, they turned out pretty good. So I'm not. This is not a depressing podcast. Is the point? At least this story is not. These things ultimately have silver linings. But it is still called the worst days. My worst. What's the title of the podcast? Who knows? What's the title of the episode? Who knows? Episode one. My worst days making video games. All right. The first worst day. That comes to mind was working on Mickey Mania. Now, I know a lot of this was because I had grown up with a very heavy diet of behind the scenes movie making PR. I didn't know it was PR at the time, I just thought that was a documentary about how movies got made. And if you watch these, specifically the ones I watched, were a lot of things like Temple of Doom and making Temple of Doom, Return of the Jedi, on and on stuff like the Spielberg, Lucas stuff. Um, the way those documentaries painted the film director, which is what I wanted to be, was just they always had great ideas. Everybody listened to him. Everybody loved him. They were the keys to the kingdom they were the reasons for the success of the title and everybody else was there to serve that Person, okay, and that's what I thought I assumed that was what it meant to be a film director, you know, and uh, That's not really true. Um, and I heard people say oh, it's collaborative. It's collaborative um, And sure, but I just assumed I don't even know what I assumed when I heard that maybe I heard it and I could repeat it As a bit of lip service, but I never I ultimately thought no, it's it's all about me It's all about me um and my vision and to an extent there's truth there But part of that when you actually do work in the creative arts with other people as you start to re- realize very quickly Your vision can only go so far without their talents and their own visions And so it really does become more about you know almost like playing a traffic cop But instead of traffic you're directing creativity and talent of other people to achieve a certain goal But I didn't know any of this right so I go into Mickey Mania as one of Sony's two directors. The other was Mike Yam, who went on to do Warhawk and Jet Moto with the Single Track guys and the Con uh, on PSP. Uh, now he's at Jesse Schnell Games doing some really cool stuff over there. Um, great designer, great guy. Um, but I didn't know any of that, so I'm one of the designers, uh, directors, designers, whatever we you know whatever we were called uh, on Mickey Mania. And I had a run there because it was you know my idea and Mike's idea we Stayed late, you know did the whole thing that everybody these days tells you not to do Which is don't work for free and don't go above and beyond and I think that's true uh, if the only reason you have the job is a paycheck and Health insurance and you're there to do a job and go home and live your own passion somewhere else but in our minds and our goals making games Was our goal and was our passion so we were more than happy to stay late unasked Unpaid and try to make our mark. So we had done that. We had pitched the game to Disney They loved it. We actually got a round of applause at the end of a pitch. I hadn't really ever seen that happen since Um we got the deal. Our bosses were ecstatic. Sony ImageSoft was a shitty fucking port, not port, but we did these awful games that they weren't all awful. We had Skyblazer Blazer and uh, Hook was really good, but most of the games were, like, really poorly done, poorly designed uh, games based on Sony movies like No Escape with Ray Liotta and Last Action Hero, which I think now is looked at more fondly, but back then, you know. Um... really need to see that movie again but anyway uh, so we did you know we we did those and suddenly our bosses were like holy shit we have a chance to actually become a real game publisher Disney this is amazing you know Uh, we had pitched for the Lion King and for what became Mickey Mania we didn't get the Lion King we got Mickey Mania okay Um, so uh, and I'll talk about the Lion King another day because there's some annoying politics that went along with that but anyway so our bosses are happy. We're excited. We're ecstatic, and um, we have a runway of about six, seven months where we're working with uh, the guys from Traveler's Tales who have gone on, or at least uh, I think it's John Burton who's gone on to do all the Lego games and have a, a crazy career and stuff. I don't know what uh, I think it was Andy. I get I get these guys mixed up a little bit. John and Andy were their first names, uh, and they were the programmer and artist, and they were also designers. On the game. Back then, you could do an entire game without designers. It was always usually, not always, but always usually, good Jaffe, it was usually the programmer, and the artist was the only designer he had. But anyway, um, and so we had seven months working with these guys, and it was a nightmare because I brought that idea of what it meant to be a filmmaker. I Assumed well, I saw this on the the behind-the-scenes shit. I guess I can do that with video games And so, you know, obviously with Mike I was collaborating he was right there and I knew he was the co-director with me But I just thought these guys were hands that you know meaning that we would say things and they would use their hands and skills to create what was in our heads and obviously not only practically is that not the way things work, but uh, This just clearly infuriated them as it should and it was slowing down production and it was kind of just grinding the fuck out of the gears of production and now we were doing a deal with disney we couldn't afford to delay it we couldn't afford to fuck up and finally uh we had a a producer on the game uh but we were pretty much running roughshod over her uh, because I guess we were allowed to. We had the freedom. If I remember, our boss, the head of Sony ImageSoft, said, if you get the deal, you guys can produce it, direct or whatever. And she was just oversight. But eventually, um, this first worst day was when they kind of called me in uh, and Mike and said, uh, well, it's been fun, fellas, but this producer, Marianne, uh, is going to come in and she is going to. Make sure this thing can actually get across the finish line because you guys are driving everybody nuts you're still in the game you're still designers we still want your input but we got to we got to batten down the fucking hatches and you guys my friends are the hatches so uh, the hatches I like the hatches they live across the street and every now and then they uh, decide to celebrate Hanukkah See, well we don't celebrate Hanukkah bill Jesus Jeffy come on the ADD stuff's where the meds are wearing off it's late at night shut up um But Anyway, uh batten down the hatches, right? Connecticut, okay Uh, so we batten down the hatches and When I'm told this and it becomes apparent that a lot of the stuff that I thought was going to be in the game And this was the hardest part of it, you know, because we had a much bigger story um, You know in our minds we had this, you know, it was basically it wasn't Kingdom Hearts before it was Kingdom Hearts but there was a lot of Disney lore because we were me and Mike are both huge Disney fans and there was a lot of, of of Referencing IP that we hadn't actually licensed, but we didn't know any better and you know Even if none of that was on the the books we had this uh you know it was a pretty cool big story about mickey Mickey's sixty fifth birthday, and Pete comes in and steals this magic watch and it sends them back in time and there's a chase through time not to fuck up all the movies and it was you know and what it inevitably became a because we didn't have the budget or time to make this epic we had in our brains, and b because Uh, We had probably cut into whatever kind of production we had to be ambitious because we'd fuck shit up. And C, because frankly, Marianne, Sony, and the Traveler's Tales guys just had a different vision for it. They were more than happy to just go, every level is a cartoon, and the levels aren't very big, which I hated. I hated that. They had done a game called Pugsy, the Traveler's Tales guys, before Mickey Mania. And in that game, they had. They brought it out and showed us. It was technically brilliant. They're really talented folks there. But I hated that the levels were so short. And apparently, this was kind of a. a, a, a a cultural difference, like if you played platformers of the time that were coming out of the u k, they like these little pithy levels, whereas I was like, No, man, I want the Mario Super Mario world levels. I want shit way up there and you can explore and find stuff down below, and you can backtrack and there's you know it's it's like a little adventure in every level. And I don't know if it was also a technical thing, but it certainly was a design philosophy, you know. We were at loggerheads as they say and I'll use that term. We were at loggerheads. I don't know what it means I think it has to do with logging like, you know, when they're in the river and they're I don't know, but it was not good and uh, So it was very uh, uh, Hurtful it was very emotionally challenging to know that that was being ripped away this vision because you really felt like it was yours and I, I don't know what's healthy about that in terms of like when you're working for a company Even if you're a movie director and you're making a Star Wars for Kathleen Kennedy or whatever You got to have ownership you got to feel like it's yours and it what it at some point it, it really no longer is about the paycheck and it's about I have to make this vision, you know, and ideally I assume everybody on the team to some extent needs to feel that way but certainly the lead creatives do so Imagine that imagine you have fallen in love with the vision imagine you have fallen in love and just gotten used to the fact that this is going to happen Sony's putting their ducats behind it. You've got this really talented team This vision will be available for people to experience and your ride to the the stars of of superstar creative guy will have begun and To have that stripped away and I remember They call me in they call Mike in they tell us that and Sony One of the perks they had, if you worked at Sony, it was like every Tuesday night, if you wanted, you could go to the lot, the Sony Pictures lot, and they would screen a movie for employees. uh, I think it was like once at seven, they'd show it again at 9.30, of a movie that was about to come out that was a Sony movie, right? So me and my uh, girlfriend, who would become my wife at the time, no, she wasn't my girlfriend yet, but she's my friend who would become my wife, who would then become my ex-wife, who's now my my friend. Shut up, listen. Uh, We go to see the motion picture. I don't remember what it was Um, Maybe it was no escape with Ray Liotta. I don't remember Um, But afterwards, you know, I couldn't pay attention to the movie Uh, And so she's like what's wrong and I tell her and she's like let's just go and her and I Leave whatever we were watching almost at the end, but we didn't stick around To see the whole film and we're just walking around the back lot because you could do that You know once you're on the lot they didn't care So you're walking around you get to see the sets and every now and then they'll leave a soundstage open and you can Kind of sneak in and look at stuff, but whatever I remember I got to go on the set of hook That was amazing going sneaking under the set of hook and I could have sat there all day long I sat there with the animal wrangler and my god that was one of the last films where they really did Almost I don't think there were any computer graphics, but there were certainly not a lot of miniatures for that movie They built that fucking pirate ship man. It was something but anyway uh, And there were animals running around the goddamn thing and I saw Spielberg a couple of times He just looked at me once. I don't I don't know what he knew, but he he wasn't like uh, He just gave me a look and maybe he didn't know the names of everybody on this massive crew But he probably knew enough to go I know what a fucking uh, looky-loo looks like. And you, my friend, look like a looky-loo. But anyway, we're walking around the the Sony Pictures lot, and I just remember unloading to my wife at the time, to- or whatever, my girlfriend at the time. To- God damn it, you know who I'm talking about, the lady I was with at the time. And it was absolutely, I was devastated. It was like, it was like all of my dreams that I had been prepared for to achieve since a little kid watching Raiders in the theater all of that had just gotten a hundred percent ripped uh, out of my hands and I was like oh my fucking god what in the goddamn cock a fuck am I gonna do and that was really one of the worst fucking days ever working in games and I'll tell you I mean what came out of it obviously I had to learn that lesson a handful of times. I, I uh, once that was done, we got put on these games called uh, from Malibu Comics called The Strangers, which was kind of like their take on Avengers and uh, Prime. I think Prime actually came out on Sega CD. It's got a very goofy theme song. Um, if I can find it, I'll put it. I'll edit it into the podcast. But anyway, uh, look it up though. Those were some shit games. But so we caused some trouble there. Eventually, by the time Twisted mental rolls around. Uh, And it was really, I could tell it was our last chance because our bosses were like, you guys are so creative and so passionate and so hardworking, but you're driving everybody crazy. And there had to be a conscious shift on my part when I started working with the guys in Utah to really kind of go, what you're doing is not working. And if you really want this career, if you really do love this, you've got to learn the lesson that's trying to be Taught To you and thank God I did um, Not to say that working on twisted metal for the guys in Utah was a walk in the park it, As it relates to working with me. I mean they had it was a horrible crunch for those guys uh, regardless of my involvement, but um, So but ultimately though it was it was the beginning of an incredibly important not just lesson for video games but I think just a collaborative lesson which is You know, unless you want to make a podcast on your own or write a novel, you'll still have an editor. But, you know, you can consciously do a painting. You can consciously choose to express yourself creatively uh, without any input or only the input you choose at any given moment to let in. Um, Those uh, creative uh, media exist. But if you want to be in games at the level I was in games at the time or films or television, uh, being a writer, being an actor, I don't want to be an actor, but a screenwriter, um, it is saying it's collaborative. It's not just a soundbite for PR. Uh, it's collaborative and you will sink so fast if you don't create uh, and support an environment to allow everybody to uh, Show up with what they love now. There's it's not as kumbaya as that because people would say well, Jaffy, I heard you were a bit of a tyrant on God of War and I was at times But not with the people that I had connected with once you once you let people in that get the vision and can add to the vision and make it our vision those people you treat like gold, but I did not have a lot of time for people who wanted to show up and express themselves, but it didn't fit into Uh the formula that we were designing for so, you know, there's nuance here I don't want to sell this idea that just let everybody do what the fuck they want everything will be great That's not true either. But anyway, that's one of the worst days I ever had in video games the second worst day Of working in games was I will I mean i'll never forget any of these but this one is dug into my brain uh, it was so seismic Uh, it's it was uh, the first day of directing the live-action movies for Twisted Metal which you know uh, there's a whole story there you can find them all on the internet they're they're wonderfully cheesy uh, and amusing and entertaining I think in some ways but they're terrible and they're the sign of somebody who really at least at that point in his life and certainly never since uh should have been allowed behind a movie camera other than to you know just walk from walk I don't know what you do behind a movie camera if you're not directing and frankly if you're the director you don't really uh some directors are also the director of photographies and they are literally but by- hey settle your brain Shh listen uh it's a sign I shouldn't be directing like live actors and in stories and all that shit right. Uh great lesson, but let me tell you man. So we had done the first day and my good friend, Carrie uh, That I've grown up with still one of my best friends in the world. I love the guy uh, And my brother uh, Philip had come out to help Philip for a long time. He's not right now anymore, but uh, he worked in movies big big huge movies He worked on the Indiana Jones uh, four. he worked on True Blood a bunch of HBO shows. He came out to kind of help me and support and be there for producing it. And Carrie was always my producer making films growing up. So he was the producer. Um, And the day had gone horribly wrong. Um, There were scripts that I wrote that weren't very good. Um, I didn't really, you know, Carrie and I had kind of tried to produce it like pre-produce it, line produce it to figure out what we needed, how much time. He didn't have any experience really with it. I certainly didn't, and I didn't care to stick to a schedule anyway because it's got to be perfect. It's got to be my vision. Um, and boy, it was a miserable day. It was, uh, you know, the the first shot alone. I, I remember going to carry it's the shot where if you watch these movies, uh, the idea was we were going to have the. Like the the dashboard POV cam from the vehicles that every vehicle in Twisted Metal one we set aside texture in the game for the you know the hands and first person and we got rid of it because it was cool but. And there was a lot of great actual environment storytelling happening on those dashboards. It's cool to look at Sweet Tooth's dashboard, and you can see, like, the ticker tape, and I think you can see, like, a gun. And if you look at his dad, the Taxi Cab Yellow Jackets dashboard, it's my hands wearing a flannel shirt that I think I'm still wearing as a pedestrian. You can hit and twist metal, too, like a flannel uh, uh, plaid thing or whatever. Uh, but he's got a hook for a hand and so you can see the hook and all this stuff and and I, I loved that uh, Storytelling coming through the the dashboard design. I thought it was pretty sweet uh, but but anyway uh, So what it was gonna be is Calypso says let the winner in and you're looking at these big supposedly concrete doors and and the two uh two of his calypso girls i think that's what we called them uh they kind of like looked like sexy ushers in a movie theater they when he said that line they would both pull apart the doors almost like a concrete curtain uh parting and it would reveal the parking garage for some reason calypso calypso who is the devil basically or at least a demon who has amazing powers he's not the devil cuz black is more powerful but he's in that he runs with those folks Uh, Can do anything in the world he wants but he somehow has decided to set up shop in a parking garage because cars it's so dumb anyway um, I mean there were some brilliance there too like the car crash that he almost died in that killed his sister is The destroyed twisted metal car parts that make up the throne he sits on if you look at the throne, you'll see that but whatever So they opened the door, he says, let the winner in, open the door, and if you watch the footage, we never put the uh, POV dashboards over it, which is why some people say, oh, it's so funny, you can see their hands, or you can see outside the set, that's not because we fucked up, that's because originally that part of the screen was going to be covered, I should go back and try to actually do that now, it'd be super easy to do now, and and it was was supposed to be covered with the dashboards, right, so anyway, that shot, Of let the winner in the doors open the camera POV of the car you know moves down a dolly track and eventually uh, in the in the final films you hear brake squealing but it comes to about I don't know 30 20 feet away from Calypso and that's where he welcomes you and it he opens the scroll and says oh let's see you've won mr. Ash what have you requested for your prize and all that shit so that that whole little bit one shot I figured okay I think we started shooting at nine. I figured, all right, that'll make like an hour. 40, I mean, how long is it going to take? How, the guy do not need to be on camera uh, memorizing the lines. He's got one line. He's a professional actor, let the winner in. Uh, the Calypso girls, what? All they're doing is smiling and opening the door. Um, we can probably shoot this in one take and we'll do a safety and move on. It'll probably, we set aside 45 minutes, an hour, probably take 20 minutes, we'll move on. It was probably three o'clock day one by the time we got that shot right we had lunch we'd broken for lunch what the fuck are you i don't even remember why it took so long some of it was technical some of it wasn't perfect i didn't know what i was looking for um some lighting issues but i didn't know to plan for any of this shit so and that was the whole day was like that and we went until about midnight and we were supposed to be back on the set which i think we were the next day at nine o'clock but we leave me and Carrie and Philip leave the set uh, And we're supposed to go to Denny's we do go to Denny's uh, somewhere in Hollywood To plan for the next day shoot and I'm exhausted and I'm cranky and all this shit. So we get there and I remember I I didn't break down and cry or anything Um, not that that would have been inappropriate, but I just I don't know. I just didn't but uh I was I just remember telling them and just going I can't I can't do tomorrow. I'm not going to do any more of these days I don't care what happens um, I I'm not going to direct this. I was like Philip. You can do it. Carrie. You can do it. Let the actors make it up I don't want any part of this anymore um, and it was just It was one of those moments that the only real salvation I think was sleep because intellectually at that point, I was, there was no talking me down from, I'm just gonna be incredibly irresponsible. If they fire me, they fire me from Sony. Uh, I'm gonna quit, because if I have to, because I cannot do this anymore. This was a shit show. It was my fault. I am going to be lambasted to the moon and back when people watch this stuff. It's crap. And more importantly, I think underneath that, There was an awareness even if it was subconscious of like you're not really good at this And it was kind of like the first time that there were no excuses. I had the money. I had a Very good cast you wouldn't know it sometimes by how I directed him and what I wrote for him to say Um, I had professional crew There were no excuses other than me and that was enough to kind of let that bubble up to the surface a little bit and I don't think I was consciously admitting it, but that sense of this isn't for you. This has been a childhood dream to direct uh, films that I had written. And suddenly to be faced straight up in focus uh, with, unlike some of the shots in the show we had shot, uh, faced with the awareness of. I mean you could get better at this, Jaffe, but if you're looking for any evidence of raw talent, you ain't got it, my friend. This is not raw brilliance. This is just raw and it's dumb, right? And that was a little voice barely I don't even I guess I don't I wasn't conscious of it, but that was what made that moment so difficult. It wasn't just I was tired, you know. but I sleep, I get up. And we go back to the set I'm exhausted, but I'm in a different headspace. I mean that's what sleep will do for you but uh, absolutely easily one of the worst days ever uh, working in video games, which you know ironically had to do nothing with video games except I was shooting a film that was gonna go into a video game so lesson learned uh, and, and and honestly since then. Uh, there might have been a little pops here and there, like, oh, I don't know. You know, people will ask me if you know I want to direct this direct that Since then I have happily given that up um, I and that was a great thing again the silver lining idea uh, It wasn't for me. It's not what I thought it was, you know, even when I was making my movies as a kid and in college and stuff it was a very different experience because they could suck and we could have fun on the set and that was a good time and what else was there? I didn't really worry about how good they would be because I had this crazy faith that it was just going to work out um, But in that case of *Twisted Metal*, the live-action movies. I was just like, okay, you're not good at this and eventually so like God of War uh, uh, I I wrote it with a couple of other people because I knew I needed help I'm not a great writer by myself, but I do pretty good with teammates um, I cast it along with Alex Stein, but Alex was the guy that was directing the voices of uh, uh, certainly TC Carson, but also um, fucking Oscar winners, who, who uh, 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 Shadow Mapes, God damn it, Linda Hunt, right? I I and, it, and I wasn't jealous. I wasn't sitting back going, I really want to be the guy doing it, but I don't want to fuck it up. I'm like, oh no, no, no I'm good. I'm totally good. You just please make it work. And even the last, the Twist Metal 2012 movies that I'm quite proud of. I co-directed them meaning I I, I was I wrote them uh, but I was setting up shots and kind of just keeping a, a meta awareness of them and direction of them uh, but Matt Donaldson was the guy on the set actually calling action directing the actors um, directing the, the crew because, again, I was just like, Matt, just do me a favor. He's great. I was just like, don't make him cheesy. And some people, just because of the writing and the way they look, some people still think they're cheese ball. But I, I think they're wonderful. They did exactly what I wanted to do. But, again, there's that lesson from the first bad day, which is if you really want to achieve some of these creative dreams, you have to surround yourself with people who... Can help you do that, and ultimately make it our dream because you can't do it all by yourself, and you certainly can't do it if you're focused on the things that you suck at. But that was the second worst uh, worst day ever. Second worst day ever. That doesn't even make sense. That was the second worst day uh, for me in the games biz. Okay, the third worst day is kind of two days, but they're kind of very similar uh, as it relates to Twisted Metal One. So the first thing we did where I thought we were fucked um, was we did the first focus group I'd ever been in. And this is, this was a marketing focus group. This was after the game had been made. So it wasn't like, is this worth making? And um, it was a literal playtest focus group. Like, do you guys like this? Um, And the game was short to release. It wasn't like we had that much time to adjust anyway. So we do this focus group. It was Warhawk, which was single track as well, and Twisted Metal. And it was in Los Angeles. It was, uh, again, this is Sony ImageSoft. This was not Sony proper at the time. So, you know, it wasn't, we didn't go out and get a big pro company. It was the marketing guys found like 12 guys at an arcade or something in Westwood. It was that, you know that thrown together and apparently these guys were super hardcore street fighter fans super hardcore gamers and they figured okay this is these are our people let's bring them in and so we did the focus test we let them play about an hour of each game and at the end uh they were raving about warhawk just thought warhawk was the tits right and when it came time to talk about twisted metal and what they thought about twisted metal, it was devastating. It was just, this is stupid. We don't get it. It's hard to control it. Um, why can't it look as good as Warhawk? Cause if you remember Warhawk, it's so funny, I was playing uh, uh sea of thieves for the first time over the weekend. And I don't know if you've played it, but if you've played it, I know it's got this cartoony look, but I have never seen such phenomenal, realistic looking waves in a video game ever. Like ever, it's fucking gorgeous. You wanna dive into your computer screen. Uh, But in, in Warhawk, there was like that second level, the canyon that had the reflection in the water of the canyon and that was like one of the best looking things in video games at the time. Another one was when you dive through the clouds And the clouds sort of dissipate as you move through them and it reveals the battlefield below and it was like oh my god just some amazing visual production in that game and so they were raving about all that and they looked at Twisted Metal which just was a very ugly game. Uh, comparatively speaking, I mean they were comparing it to like demolition derby that they had seen ads for and they had seen stuff in EGM and Comparatively speaking, it's pretty one of the ugliest launch titles and a lot of that's because the levels were huge um, They were open, you know, we, we had uh, if, if you go back to the level I think it was River City Rumble River City Rumble was originally uh 10 times it was like the size of suburbia every level was that big like we were doing open worlds back then and So but we weren't streaming data off the CD uh, Into RAM it was just all loaded in at once And so, you know, we barely had any texture maps that we could really make high-res at the time high-res and and cool-looking You know, it was all we could do to you know tell the visual story of the location and so we you know inevitably consequently were a pretty unattractive game which works for the game because the game is very garage band and rough around the edges but trust me if we could have flipped a switch and made it beautiful like warhawk we would have but so they hated the visuals they didn't understand the controls uh i kept trying to explain it was like a fighting game they're like dude we fucking just came from a street fighter II tournament this ain't like a fighting game and they just just shit all over it And I remember they were wrapping up and I went out to the lobby. We, this was, I don't even know where we did this. This was like, it wasn't at Sony. It was some firm that maybe the ad firm who was doing the advertising for it. We got to use their building or whatever. Um, but I'm in the lobby. I'm sitting in this, like I remembered, it's like one of those really uncomfortable square leather, black chairs, uh, that you see in lobbies that have like the, 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 the sterling silver metal kind of brackets and, and, on the armrest and stuff but it's mostly just this cubist black chair and I'm sitting in that thing and I'm calling my wife and I'm just like dude I have to find another job and she's like why what's going on did you get fired I'm like no but I'm going to because this thing is gonna shit the fucking bed. it is gonna shit the bed and then the shit in the bed is gonna shit in the bed on top of the shit that it already ate. it is a lot of shit in the bed is is what I'm saying and uh, I just I don't even think I slept that night when I got home. I was just, I was hyperventilating a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm like reliving it a little bit in my mind right now. Um, where else would you relive it, Jaffe? Shh. Um, I was, it was, it was that kind of, it was just, I couldn't catch my breath. I couldn't believe it. After all this work and all this love put into it, um, and this thing that I really believed in, it just was like, my only thing I can say is my experience right now and really going back and telling the story is I'm struggling like I'm, I'm struggling to breathe um, it was it was really hard it was really devastating for me and I, I don't know what got me out of that hole uh, because it wasn't like I was depressed for months I'm sure Halfway through the next day. I was back to work doing shit. So something allowed me maybe it was sleep again something allowed me to keep going so Related to that these these are kind of the same day not the same day but the same kind of days that were all happening within like a month of each other because this was around launch time is We had marketing come in um, And it was a bunch of people. It was like 12 people for marketing usually it was just one guy a guy named Peter Uh, But this was the whole staff and they come in and they look at all the launch games They look at Warhawk and Twisted Metal and I think we had a uh, we had ESPN uh, Extreme racing uh, and I think there was a sports game. Maybe it was a game day Um, And everything showed well everybody was happy. Nobody was like Twisted Metal shit. It was nothing like that But I remember we took a break and I went to pee Um, No, yeah, I went to pee but there was a marketing guy peeing next to me and who just didn't recognize me because I'd never seen him before and he probably didn't remember me in the meeting. And there was a dude in the stall pooping, I assume. Cocaine, maybe he was the doing. I don't know what he was doing in there. Um, like, what else would he be doing? Most. It, mm. Uh, he's pooping in the stall. And uh, you ever notice that with people? People say so they're, they're the people in your life uh, that will go in there and they don't give a shit that they're shitting. And they'll stink up the bathroom and they'll make it loud and they'll talk to their colleagues. And it's like, hey, Doug, are we going oh, we go to uh, Taco Bell after this? I'll meet you in the. You know, I don't get it. I, I always like if I'm out in the world. If I'm gonna go poo somewhere, it's like it's gotta be discreet. It's not like I don't want people know when I poo. Of course I poo, but it's you know I don't need you associating those things with me. So keep it to yourself, motherfucker. Um, and then you know we made I'll get back to the story I promise when we made God of War uh, in Santa Monica, oh my God, it was so bad. Uh, the bathrooms were right next to the group of cubicles that the producers worked in. And I think all the producers, not that it matters, but it was just so, you know, apropos, I suppose, that all the, all the producers were women. And when those bathroom doors opened, the smell would come out and just sort of uh, uh, take over that section of the studio as long as it, until it dissipated. And eventually, the bruisers just got these big fans and blew it all into the rest of the studio because it was just like, if we have to suffer, you have to fucking suffer. Uh, anyway, where was I? So I'm I'm peeing, and they're talking about the games they had just seen, and they were like, "Oh, game day is going to be huge. It's going to be ESPN. Everybody loved ESPN because it was like, you know, uh, the show Jackass. It was just like, oh my God, did you see that when the guy went off the cliff and skid, and blood came out, you know." Um, Raved about Warhawk, not a peep though, about Twisted Metal. And again, I was just, uh, oh my fucking God, we are so fucked. Um, I don't really remember. I mean, here's what I can tell you the focus test and the marketing bathroom thing, both of those were traumatic for me. They are burned into my mind, Uh, at least one of them, the one I just told you about a minute ago, causes a great deal of anxiety when I relive it. Somehow, though, we just kinda kept going. I don't know if that's just Alan Becker, my boss, or Sony being, I don't know what it was, but I never got the sense that, I got the sense that my own personal sky was falling, but nobody seemed, other than me, to be panicking. Uh, even to the point that Kelly Flock, who was running it by then, uh, was like, okay, well, let's do a sequel. And I'm in my mind, I'm like, are you out of your fucking mind? What do you mean we're not going to do a sequel? People hate this fucking game. And um, <laughs> it was so interesting because I, I remember uh, it was. I don't know I mean the internet was around but it was nascent so I don't know where I heard this it may have been on the internet it may have been from marketing I don't know but Sony had PlayStation 1 had these kiosks, you remember probably if you were around and you know there was the demo disc that had Warhawk ESPN this that and the other and it had twisted metal and one of the things that was coming back to us from sort of people playing it target and in the field was that people the controls were just insanely confusing to people people didn't know what the fuck they were doing um, and so I remember Scott and Kellen and I, Scott and Kellen from Single Track, the other directors of the game and creators of the game, uh, had. F- it's like, are we going to do hover cars? Because Kelly's like, we want a sequel. And we're like, we can make a sequel to this. This is terrible. No one can control it. It's too complicated with this controller. Uh, and when you're not on a track, right? And this is early days. So fuck you. <laughs> it's like '95, and. Um, so we we had seriously explored you can find concept of it online uh hover cars uh not that we thematically loved it but we were like okay well these will let you strafe and you can drive these like the tanks and cyber sled and you can you know you can push forward to go forward and pull back to go back and there's no longer dealing with gas and the brake button and a turbo button it's just very simple uh, we had also talked about insects. We were going to do a sequel that was the same kind of game, Combat, but Scorpion, Spider, I, God knows if, I don't think we thought it through more than five minutes to think about all the different skeletal rigs we would need for these different insects, but the idea was they're moving slower, they don't drift around corners, so they'll be easier to control. And somewhere along the line... um, It just kind of started to work. I remember it was me and Mike Guillaume and Felice, who was our producer from Sony, and we had gone out to eat on the day these games launched, which I want to say was October 10th. It was, uh, uh, we went to AMC, not AMC, went to Century City in LA, And We went to Spielberg's restaurant, which was called dive. It was one of those themed restaurants and it didn't last for very long and it was a submarine theme and it was like you went down and every 20 minutes the restaurant would submerge so it would be like all the windows would fill with water and bubbles and there'd be like, rawr, rawr, You know and all that shit and whatever so it was fun. It was Spielberg's restaurant. What are you kidding me? Of course, we're going so I go to that and then afterwards we go over to I think it was Babbage's at the time Maybe it was called electronic boutique, but it certainly won't GameStop yet and it was the first time I had ever seen anything I worked on um, With my name on it because our names were on the back of the boxes And we asked the guys, could we see it? And we flipped it, and there our names were, and everything. And single track was on there, and Sony was on there. And it's like, oh my God, this is so fucking cool. Um, But somewhere along the lines, um, it sold. And it became. I remember somebody told me it got game of the year for EGM. I was like, what are you talking about? This is the year that Yoshi's Island came out. Go fuck yourself. But it did. Uh, That multiplayer just saved us, which was something a programmer came in and did. Uh, really in the last six weeks, he's just like, yeah, let's try it. And he tried it. No one prompted him to, at least that I know of, uh, which is embarrassing. We didn't think to prompt him to, um, and it was just fucking crackerjack, man. Excellent. So it, it ultimately worked out. So I I know what the first two worst days on twisted mental were. It makes me very interested now when I think of these I mean it's like what was the lesson the first two I get the lessons I told you what they were I think I carry them with me this one though you know experiencing people hating something that you're working on I would hate the lesson to be ignore the audience and just make what you want it'll all work out because a lot of times it doesn't drawn to death didn't work out and I did that I did exactly that so I don't think that's the lesson I think Maybe if you want to just get real practical about it. Um, I think There's 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 a great deal of leniency you are given When your audience has purchased the game and brought it home because What is frustrating in target or in a focus test? um, Or what is ugly? Visually to a bunch of marketing people all of those things still exist but whether you've rented it or preferably you've bought it um, and this is not the sign of good game design you should never rely on this crutch I think we just got lucky Um, was once you're playing it or if you had the demo disc and a lot of people said I played the shit out of the demo of twisted metal enough to the point that you got used to the controls um, and it just became second nature Um, that that might be the lesson, which is, you know, ideally you don't need that crutch, but be aware if you're still in the world where you sell your game uh, or there's some kind of commitment to the game that's been made, usually financially or time. Uh, there's more patience to sort of get to the goodness that might be buried underneath the crust of poop uh, of, you know, and I love Twisted Metal. It's Of all the games I've worked on, it's the one closest to my heart. Not one, but just the series in general. Um, so I'm not. Beating it up or anything i'm just saying that you know there was a lot of love in that game and a lot of love for that game but you had to go through a little bit of a uh, a rough neighborhood to get to it so and there we go that is uh the the worst days working on twisted metal um again if you talk to scott and kellen and the team boy man these motherfuckers i mean you know i i my my awareness of their level of crunch uh, was present, but it wasn't until much later that I realized just how much of a slog that was for those guys up in Utah. And um, I had it easy on that game in this compared to these guys. They, they, you know, and, and this was Scott's a fucking, you know, you know, he, he's the guy you want. If you're like, this job has to get done. I don't care how I don't want to know how, <laughs> he'll make it get done. This motherfucker was the one who was producing military Sims. If he fucked up there, people would die. Uh, so that's sort of the cloth he is cut from. And, um, he made sure both these fucking games launched on time as, uh, as were designed, as were contracted to Sony. And, uh, he worked the team like crazy and, and it wasn't like he was a bad guy, but it was you know, that was his job and that was they signed up for it and uh, hopefully if they were still around when they became Incognito and sold to Sony after a couple of guys not Scott not Kellen made a shit ton of money off these these games who ran single-track, uh, hopefully Those early-day guys also got a good payday. I think they did Um But yeah, I mean it it was it was it was really uh, I'm sure they've got their own war stories about working on twisted metal but for me uh, Those certainly from that game are the 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 biggest lessons and biggest just gut punches uh, That I had up until that point in the industry there are more and in a future podcast I will talk about other worst days as it relates to certainly God of War Certainly drawn to death. Um, Certainly a game I was working on called Dark Guns. But that, you know, as much as these have silver linings, there's only so much negativity you can take. Let's kind of talk about something happy. What can I leave you with that's happy? I'm recording this as of, um, yeah, it's Valentine's Day, uh, 7-Eleven at night. Uh, The family's about to get together. I think we're going to watch some Community Season 6. We're late to that show. It's so fucking funny. Uh, Valentine's Day, you know, what do you want? I, I don't like Valentine's Day. Even when I was married or dating, I didn't like Valentine's Day. It's just so, I mean, imagine it for a moment, won't you? Imagine it and you just go, this is the day that I'm supposed to show my appreciation to my love. It's like, let me explain something, bitch. If you aren't showing that appreciation on the regular, don't show up for today. Today should be like any other day. Right and imagine being the receiving whether you're the man or the woman or the man and the woman and whatever you're into That's what I'm saying Imagine being on the receiving end of coming home from work and seeing the rose petals up to the bathtub Unless your spouse or significant other or whoever you're dating is doing it is to take the piss Please tell me you don't fall for that. It's like oh What oh what the guy was told in this case let's say it's a girl going oh and the guy's told hey by corporate America, go spend your money. And this is what you can do to make your lady swoon. Great, you're dating a fucking sheep who has no imagination, congratulations. That was supposed to be positive, what are you doing? My friends, thank you so much. And thank you, of course, for supporting the channel. I appreciate it very, very much. It's such a blast to do this stuff and I appreciate you letting me do it. I appreciate you being here and uh, we will have good Sir Alex Plox Wrap us up, and I'll see you guys on the next uh, show, video, hoop, what have you. Thanks, everybody.